everybody, welcome to another episode of the Abnormal Psychologist Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Colby Taylor. I'm a psychologist. I'm an associate professor of behavioral sciences at Christian Brothers University, and I'm a parent. And so with today's episode, I thought I would talk about parenting styles a little bit. So I think I mentioned in a previous episode, this spring, I'm teaching a human development course. And coming off of spring break, right now we're on spring break. And what better way to celebrate spring break than record a podcast episode? <laughs> sort of disappointed in myself. I'm, I'm still kind of young. It wasn't that long ago that I was an undergrad. And if you had told me 10 or 15 years ago during spring break, you'd be recording a podcast instead of going to the beach and partying or whatever, um, I'd probably be pretty disgusted with myself. Um, but I'm actually really happy to record this episode. So as I mentioned, I'm teaching human development this spring, and coming off of spring break, we're going to be talking about parenting styles a little bit. And in prepping for those lectures, um, you know, I'm a parent myself. I have two kids that are off in preschool right now. Emerson, she's three and a half, and Rowan, who's a year and a half. And I've sort of been doing some introspection about my own parenting styles and the parenting styles in which I was brought up with my mother and father. And so that's what today's episode is going to explore. And I think way back when, I couldn't even find in my email search, um, we had a mailbag request about parenting styles. So that might have been a year and a half, two years ago. I have no idea, but I'm finally going to get to your request now um, on parenting styles. I think I'd be remiss if I didn't begin an episode on parenting styles by talking about Diana Baumrind. So Diana Baumrind has pretty much become synonymous with parenting styles. Um, Baumrind was a psychologist. She died back in 2018. Uh, and when she died, she was 91 years old. And she had just signed a publication contract at 91 years old. She was going to write a new book, which makes me feel really unproductive and that I'm 35 years old and I feel like I have no energy. Anyways, um, it, it was a tragic death. She was killed in a head-on collision by an 81-year-old man who crossed into her lane. This accident actually happened in Oakland, California, which is not that far away from Berkeley, California. And uh, Diana Baumrind was a longtime psychology professor at UC Berkeley. Long time. I mean, her work dated back to the 1950s and 60s. So in addition to parenting styles, one of the cool things that Diana Baumrind is known for is coming down hard on Stanley Milgram. And if you've taken a gen psych course before or history psych um, class before, you remember Stanley Milgram and his shocking conformity study at Yale University. And Baumrind responded to Milgram's um, study and argued that his use of deception harmed the dignity of participants and violated trust, trust in psychologists, trust in our science. Um, so that was pretty cool that she was so progressive, you know, 60 plus years ago. Obviously now she's more famous for parenting styles than for her criticism of Stanley Milgram. Anyways, when Baumrind came up with her parenting styles, normally if you take a child psych course, a human development course, you're exposed to four different parenting styles. Um, but there were originally only three different parenting styles. Baumrind is only responsible for coming up with three parenting styles. And those three are authoritarian, um, the similarly sounding authoritative, and permissive parenting, which is sometimes called indulgent parenting style. So you have authoritarian, authoritative, and permissive. 
Um, in the 1980s, a fourth was added in, and most people think this fourth was originally created by Baumrein, but it wasn't. This fourth was added in by another group of California researchers um, just sort of down the road at Stanford. So in the 1980s, Eleanor Maccabee and John Martin created this fourth parenting style, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit. It's neglectful, which is also sometimes called uninvolved. So to add a little bit of confusion in, right, um, some of these go by different names. Permissive can go by intelligent, and neglectful can sometimes go by uninvolved. But anyways, if we think about these four parenting styles, they sort of create a, a Cartesian plane, so an x-axis and a y-axis. Um, and if you could imagine on one axis, let's, let's call it the x-axis, on the horizontal axis, um, you have parental responsiveness. And at one end of this axis, you have warm and accepting parents. And at the other end of the axis, you have cold and unaccepting parents. So that would be the parental responsiveness axis. And then on the other axis, we'll imagine it being our y-axis or our vertical axis. We have parental demandingness. And demandingness, which I don't even think demandingness is a word, but that's usually what it's labeled, um, ranges from, we'll say at the bottom, not being demanding at all, being undemanding, to at the top, being a very demanding parent. So again, two axes. Um, Parental responsiveness on the x-axis, the horizontal axis, and parental demandingness on the y-axis. And based sort of on which of the four quadrants you're in, we can sort you into one of the four parenting styles. Um, let's dive into these four parenting styles. We'll start out with the best type of parenting style. So research consistently shows that if you could pick your parents being one type of parent parenting style, you should pick them being authoritative um, authoritative parents are warm and accepting, so they're on that warm and accepting end of the x-axis, and they're also demanding, so they set high standards for you. But in these high standards, you have a really healthy relationship with your parents. And classically, uh, two television um, parents that are often brought up as examples of authoritative parents are Claire Huxtable from The Cosby Family and Danny Tanner from Full House. So another sort of San Francisco Bay Area connection, Danny Tanner from Full House. Um, again, if you could pick your parents being any of these four parenting styles, you'd want them to be authoritative. Um, authoritative parenting is associated with the healthiest outcomes in children and then later in adults. Okay, so that's one of the four parenting styles. Um, another parenting style is the permissive parenting style, which is also called indulgent parenting. And so with that, you're also warm and accepting, just like authoritative parents. They're warm and accepting, bubbly, fuzzy, um, all that stuff, um, but they're undemanding. And when I think of permissive parents, I think of June Jones in the Mean Girl movie. So June Jones was um, Amy Poehler's character from Mean Girls. And she has that line, like, I'm like the cool mom, right? So these permissive parents, a lot of times, you know, host parties with alcohol and drugs or whatever. Um, in high school for their kids to come to. They want to, they want to be cool. They want to be liked by their kids. Uh, but in doing so, a lot of times they don't set high standards for their kids. So that's permissive parenting. And that can be associated with later um, substance use um, and also kids um, maybe not having the level of academic achievement um, that kids from authoritative parents might have. And if you want to feel old, speaking of Mean Girls, it's going to be 20 years old next year. Um, it came out when I was in high school. 
And I think I saw on the news a couple of weeks ago that they're filming a Mean Girls, the musical. Um, so Mean Girls, very interesting. Maybe we could do a podcast on Mean Girls and adolescent development um, in a few episodes. That'd be kind of a fun one. All right, so we've covered authoritative parenting. We've covered permissive or indulgent parenting. Um, another type of parenting is authoritarian parenting. So authoritarian parenting, they're demanding. So like authoritative parents, they're demanding. But unlike authoritative parents who are warm and accepting, authoritarian parents are cold and unaccepting. So um, they're cold, they're callous, and they're very demanding. They have very high standards. Um, when I think of authoritarian parents, I think of like demanding baseball fathers. So again, I'm recording this episode in the spring, and occasionally I'll go to my nephew's uh, Little League baseball games. And sometimes at these baseball games, you have these fathers that sort of stand up against the fence or against the dugout and uh, are just so disappointed in their kids when they get up to bat. And there's no warmth and acceptingness, um, but they're very demanding. And so um, if their child, I saw this one example a few years ago, it was horrifying and I wanted to sort of intervene. But, you know, you have a seven or eight year old kid, they get up to bat, they strike out, they're trying their hardest. The dad is just sort of disgusted um, because they wanted their child, again, they're demanding to hit a home run or get on base or not embarrass them. They're probably, that dad is probably working through their own issues. Uh, but anyways, after the game, um, uh, the father got in his pickup truck and made his seven or eight-year-old walk alongside his pickup truck um, like a quarter of a mile to their house uh, because he was so disgusted the child wasn't even allowed to ride in the, the pickup truck with him. That's authoritarian parenting. Another example of authoritarian parenting might be sort of the tiger mother phenomenon. So in Eastern Asian cultures, uh, we have this term of uh, um, tiger mothers uh, who aggressively want the best for their kids. You know, they want them to be in honors courses, uh, AP courses, every extracurricular you can think of, you know, play the cello, um, get into Ivy League school become a physician. And there's just such unreasonable pressure that's placed on some of these kids. Um, again, they're very demanding, but they don't get that uh, loving warmth um, that you would get from an authoritative parent. And that can have really sort of negative outcomes for kids, um, especially related to anxiety or burning out, flaming out as sort of, uh, you know, an honor student or a prodigious student that um, just sort of loses motivation over time. Let's transition to the fourth type of parenting, which is not one of Diana Baumrein's original three parenting styles. Again, this one was created in the 1980s or named in the 1980s uh, by Eleanor Maccabee and John Martin. Uh, and that fourth parenting style is neglectful, which is also sometimes called uninvolved parenting. So with neglectful parenting, you're cold and unaccepting, and you're also undemanding. Um, and if you had to pick a parenting style that you absolutely do not want, um, that would be this neglectful parenting style. It's consistently associated with the worst outcomes in kids and then later on outcomes in adulthood. And when I think about neglectful parenting, I think about Frank Gallagher from Shameless. Um, you're just a parent that's not really there and you're not demanding for your kids and this is where parentification comes in. And if you're interested in parentification, I recorded an episode um, several months ago, season three, episode 10 on parentification. And um, 
yeah, Frank Gallagher from Shameless comes to mind. And speaking of Shameless, I had a great end of the year paper um, a few years ago looking at psychopathology in the Shameless series. And it was great. There's so much psychopathology in Shameless. Um, and it made for a really good sort of DSM-5 analysis of uh, several of the psychopathologies present in Shameless. Um, anyways, this is not a Shameless episode, though. Uh, I could probably do an episode on Shameless, and that'd be really interesting, and probably get more listens than this episode. Uh, but this one's on parentification. And, you know, maybe this research, like Bomrine's research on moms and dads is overblown. Maybe with parentification, we should actually be looking at older siblings more. Um, and in 57% of cultures, older siblings are actually the primary caregivers. So again, maybe we put too much emphasis on moms and dads and not enough on older siblings. And maybe we should look beyond Bomrod's parenting styles. Again, looking at siblings or looking at um, parenting styles that might not neatly fit into those four Cartesian square boxes. Um, like what about Peter Griffin from Family Guy? With Peter Griffin, right? What if you're more of a peer than a parent? And being more of a peer than a parent sort of sounds permissive, you know, sort of like the mean girl's mom. But I'm not sure permissive like completely explains uh, the peer parent type of parenting style. Um, so what about if you know, some of you listeners might have parents that are more peers than parents? Or what about uh, parents that are super self-centered? They're super egotistical and super selfish. Maybe with, you know, the axes that we talked about with Bomron, maybe we should create a third axis, like parental selfishness. Um, or maybe another axis could be parental inconsistency. Lots of parents sort of fluctuate between the four different boxes. You sort of bounce around on the demandingness and responsiveness axes, right? One day uh, you might be super warm and loving, and the next day you might be more cold and callous and unaccepting. What about that? And, you know, if, if we talk about attachment styles, and I think attachment styles are oftentimes um, talked part and parcel with parenting styles, um, that sort of inconsistency becomes very, very important. Or, you know, within the last 10 years, we've started talking about helicopter parents. What about helicopter parents? They're omnipresent, but I don't know that I'd describe that omnipresence as warm and accepting. They're just always there, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're warm and accepting. And helicopter parents, again, are sort of a new term. Um, it only dates back to like 2012 or so. Um, some other names for helicopter parents in literature, if you're looking for helicopter parents and you're interested in the phenomenon, you can look up intrusive parenting or overparenting. So again, it's one of those parenting terms that goes by several different names. But helicopter parents, right, they're overprotective, but protectiveness isn't really in one of Bomron's parenting styles. Helicopter parents don't fit neatly into one of those four boxes. Um, we do have some research on helicopter parents. Uh, there was one article I came across by Vidgal and Bronick that found links between helicopter parenting and childhood anxiety and depression. So if you have parents that are intrusive, that are always on top of you, um, you might be more likely to become anxious, depressed, and have lower self-confidence. And I found some other research that found, finds that children of helicopter parents tend to have lower self-confidence. And I see this sometimes in my undergrads. Um, they've had parents that 
have sort of hovered over them, especially with the pandemic. You know, they were doing work at home and they had parents that were sort of micromanaging their life when they were taking virtual high school or virtual college. And now they're in lecture, they're living in dorms, they're sort of on their own, um, and they lack self-confidence and they're gaining in anxiety and depression. And then sometimes a helicopter, I, I could probably do a whole episode on helicopter parents that come to my office you know, wanting to know their child's grade or wanting to debate something in a test or, um, you know, I've heard of uh, parents showing up at job interviews and stuff. So this helicopter parent phenomenon is super, super interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think Bomron's parenting styles fully explain everything. I was thinking last night when I was driving in the car, I was driving home from trivia. Um, last night was the first time that I've done like pub trivia, bar trivia in probably a month or two, we showed up and we won. Um, so we won a gift certificate. We dominated the competition. And I just wanted to sort of soak in my uh, victory on the drive home from the, the restaurant slash bar. So I had the radio off and I started reflecting. And I was thinking about, you know, parenting style can be really, really inconsistent. Um, again, you have parents that sort of bounce around based on the day um, that they can, you know, be authoritarian one day, authoritative the other day. But it can also be inconsistent based on parent, right? Whether it's the mother or the father parenting. What if you have a mismatch of parenting styles between the mother and the father? Um, and when we're talking about parents sort of being calibrated, being on the same page, um, there's a term for that in developmental psychology called co-parenting. Co-parenting is how two parents coordinate their parenting. Um, and we know that moms of young kids they oftentimes spend more time devoted to caretaking. So they spend more time feeding, they spend more time diaper changing. Um, they might be higher in the uh, warm acceptance stuff that we talked about. Whereas fathers of young kids spend more time devoted to playing. Um, so fathers tend to be louder. They tend to roughhouse with their kids more. Um, they tend to tickle more, bounce more, engage in surprises, those sorts of things with their kids more. <clears throat> So what if we see mismatches between mothers and fathers and parenting styles? How does that um, pan out? I don't know. Another thought I had when I was driving home last night was what if parenting styles are applied differently to different siblings within the household? So let's say that you have a brother and a sister and the parents are authoritative with one and authoritarian or permissive or something with another. Um, what does that look like? You know, I don't think we have very good research on outcomes where parents, um, and I know this happens, have different standards and have different um, styles based on uh, which sibling they're parenting. So that was co-parenting. Co-parenting is a really important term. Another sort of important term in human development, child psychology, whatever, are spillover effects. Um, spillover effects are parents' relationships with one another and with their workplace and how, you know, marital strife or workplace strife can spill over into parenting relationships. Um, so stress or positive stuff can spill over into a parent's relationship with their children. And you'll see that term spillover effects applied in different contexts in human development. It's not always parents' relationships to children. Um, I've seen it applied broader. So if you put spillover effects into Google, you might get other applications of the term. Um, but we know spillover effects are really important in parenting styles. Um, we know that poverty especially 
creates spillover effects. Um, economic pressure creates pressure in the family system. And we can study this, another human development term, just throwing out vocab terms, it seems like today, um, teacher mode when I'm on spring break. Uh, but family stress model talks about how economic pressure spills over into the family system. This is really important in a city like Memphis. Again, I live in Memphis. I'm recording this episode in Memphis. And Memphis has the sixth highest rate of childhood poverty. So we have a ton of spillover effects here. So socioeconomic status, obviously really, really important when we're talking about parenting styles. Um, we talked about that with poverty. Uh, also, culture is super important. Um, and I'm not sure, I think it would be debatable whether Baumrein's parenting styles fit neatly into every culture or whether there's more cultural relativity that these parenting styles don't necessarily exist. They don't necessarily hold across place and across time. We sort of touched on culture with the tiger mother phenomenon. But Diana Baumrein, another thing besides being famous for Stanley Milgram, being famous for her three parenting styles, another thing she was sort of famous for was talking about corporal punishment, talking about spanking. And Baumrein sort of controversially, and this was later in life, um, said that culture, corporal punishment um, might not be so bad based on different cultural and socioeconomic applications. So for example, uh, and this, was, this has been hotly debated, uh, Baumrein's assertions, but yeah, and you might've heard like American Academy of Pediatrics, most research says that there's no positive effects of corporal punishment. And in my own clinic, um, and in my own teaching, you know, we recommend against corporal punishment. With that being said, not all corporal punishment is created equally. Um, for example, in certain cultures, spanking is delivered in an otherwise warm parenting relationship. So sort of spanking in an authoritative context is different than spanking in an authoritarian context. Um, spanking in an otherwise healthy and responsive relationship is much different than spanking in a cold and otherwise callous parenting relationship. And we do have some evidence that spanking in African-American parents looks different than spanking um, in parents of white children. I guess I could do an episode on corporal punishment and spanking too, if anybody wants that. There's enough demand. And when I'm talking about spanking, we're not talking about sort of in a paraphilic context. We could do a paraphilic context episode on spanking, but I was thinking about corporal punishment and parenting. No. Anyways, all right, I think we're winding down this episode. I did want to talk about types of grandparents too, because we know grandparents are taking on an increasing role in parenting. And we actually have a different typology for grandparents. And grandparents are oftentimes sorted into three different um, types. This typology dates back to the year before I was born. So um, if you want to do the math, this came out in 1986. It was Sherlin and Fustenberg, um, their, their typology for grandparents. And they sort grandparents into remote grandparents. There's about 29% of grandparents. Remote grandparents, um, they live geographically distant from their children. So a lot of times they live cross-country. And they're also emotionally distant. So they're remote in more ways than one. Um, another type of grandparent is companionate grandparents, and this is about half of grandparents. Um, companionate grandparents frequently interact with their grandchildren. Oftentimes they live pretty close geographically. 
Um, they play with their grandchildren. They probably see them once every few weeks, but they rarely take on a parental role. The third and final type of grandparent is the involved grandparent. This is about 16% of grandparents. Involved grandparents take on a parental role. And a lot of times they might be the primary caregiver in a kid's life. And involved grandparenting is more common in African-American and Hispanic households. Um, if you want to see more on that, there's some research by Hayslip in 2009. So I think it's important to talk about grandparents and types of grandparents because grandparents are increasingly becoming primary caregivers. Um, la last estimate I saw was that 2.4 million children in the United States are being raised by their grandparents. All right, I think this episode is coming to an end. Um, if you have questions about parenting styles, um, if you have episode requests, again, I'm getting to this one maybe a year and a half late, uh, but if you have episode requests, if you have questions for me, um, send them to ctaylo41 at cbu.edu, and I'll try to get to them, even if it's two years down the road. And we do have a mailbag request, or we have a mailbag uh, letter, email, what have you. This is from Nicholas. And Nicholas says, hello, Dr. Taylor. I'm a senior psych major slash public health minor. And I don't know if I've mentioned this in any of my other episodes, but my wife, her PhD is in public health. Um, he's at a Northeastern University. He's been listening to the podcast for over two years, which is awesome. While he walks to class. Um, thank you for staying with me. Um, I love your show and I've wanted to email you for a while, but I never got around to it. Anyways, I'm planning on applying to grad school sh soon. Um, and I'd love if you could do an episode on substance abuse slash addiction counseling. I know you made an episode on addiction a while back. I think that was a long, long time ago. But I was hoping to learn more about the therapy, psychopharmacology, and neuroscience and work that goes into treating patients in addiction slash rehab settings. Um, so, and he says, keep up the great work, Nick. Um, Nick, I'd love to do an episode on this. It's super, super important. Admittedly, since I work mostly with kids, it's not something that I encounter that much, but I've definitely had training in it. And uh, my cousin, um, Dr. Lucas Troutman, is a psychiatrist who specializes in addiction. And you can Google him. He, he um, does TikTok videos and stuff for American addiction centers. Oftentimes, he's sort of got like a mailbag uh, where he'll answer questions, dispel myths, that sort of thing. So maybe I can consult him in coming up with an episode um, on more addiction-related stuff, which addiction, again, is sort of a loaded term. Um, some people don't like using the term addiction and would rather use substance use or substance abuse or what have you. All right, um, that's it for this episode. I've got 20 minutes until I pick the kids up from preschool. So I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to get a cup of coffee. Um, I'm going to celebrate spring break. So... Uh, until next time, take care, stay well, send me some mailbag requests.